There are preachers out there that will exploit their children, maybe their own hobbies to make a point and an illustration, but I am not one of those people. <laughs> but I do want to introduce you to um, somebody rather special. Building anticipation. No birds. While we're waiting for this, you might want to just keep your Bibles open in front of you to that text as we're going to be coming back and forth and flicking around a little bit today. I could sing you a song. <laughs> what do you want to hear? <laughs> as far as the recording's concerned, we'll start it in a minute, all right? Because I don't want this to roll over. And... We good? Anyway, what I wanted to show you and who I wanted to show you was Ollie. It was my 18-month-old mini golden doodle, and uh, he's very cute. <laughs> and I am his master. You see, on a good day, uh, when I call him, he comes. I tell him to sit, and he sits. I tell him, Ollie, lie down, and he lies down. I tell him to stay. And he stays. Tiago taught him how to shake a paw. So you go, Ollie, shake. And he lifts his little fluffy paw and he shakes. He will even fetch a ball if I throw it for him. And he does even come back with it. Ollie, as I walk around, will follow me wherever I go on a good day. He knows my voice. There he is. But it is also true that he can become a little distracted at times. Squirrels, tissues, other dogs, other dogs' toys, other dogs' treats, wide open spaces, muddy puddles, all have the capacity to distract him from hearing my voice. But he is only a puppy, he's 18 months, and he's still learning. And so are we. Now, there is this thing about that people talk about dogs and their owners, right? That there is a, that people begin to resemble their own dog. <laughs> Who has a Rottweiler? No. And, uh, and I wonder whether I'm beginning to recognize myself in my own dog, um, maybe possibly even a little too much. Now, I don't mean the cute fluffiness. But Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And on a good day, I do. But I know that there are also days when I can become distracted by the squirrels and the treats and the toys and the other dogs. You know, this week, I was um, reading through uh, Numbers. 
as part of my daily devotional. And, um, you know, see, I'm not the only one. I was reading the story about um, Balak and Balaam. And uh, it's the story where the people of Israel are camped out on the plains of Moab, and Balak is saying, bring Balaam to me. I want him to curse uh, this people. And so off he goes, and, um, and Balaam says, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do more or less. Well, that sounds good, right? And yet... Balaam is cited in the New Testament as an example of a false prophet. In 2 Peter, we read that they've left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, the son of Bezer, and who, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. You see, he tried to do what was right, to speak only what God put in his mouth, and yet his path was considered reckless before the Lord. You see, he got distracted so easily. And I know that I too have the capacity to become distracted from the voice of my master and my Lord. I want to believe that I am following Jesus faithfully, that I'm listening to his voice, but at times I wonder if I've become distracted and I'm following the path actually of my own inclination and preference when what the Lord has said to me is something quite other. So a question for us this morning and for me that I've been wrestling with is how can I become more tuned, better attuned to hear my master's voice and to avoid the distractions and the temptations that would lead me astray? How can I walk in faithful obedience to him? This is all part of a series, if you remember, on transformation. We started off by asking the question, is change even possible? And so over these past few weeks, we've been looking at different spiritual disciplines to say, understanding that these, as we exercise these disciplines, put us into a place whereby God can work in us. And this morning, we're going to consider the question of how we can listen to the Holy Spirit. And we might say, well, you know, it was so much easier for the first disciples because they had Jesus. He could show them, just point and show them. He, could, he taught them firsthand. He could lead them clearly. And so it was easy. They could follow him faithfully. And so when we come to this text in John 16, Jesus tells his disciple that he must go away, but he doesn't intend to leave them on their own. Why? Because he knows they're too squirrely. Right? They're too easily distracted, and they're not so bright. So he promises that if he goes, he is going to send the, help, the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, the counselor, comforter. One, all the meanings of this word, like one who would befriend them. And this would be for their good, to their advantage. I want us to think, first of all, about, well, how important is this person of the Holy Spirit? Because... I know from my own story, when I came to faith, and I've shared this with you before, I'd, I'd never actually heard about the Holy Spirit up until the point, really. I never really understood it. Nobody ever really taught me about him. Um, for all the years that I grew up singing as a little choir boy in the choir, and you know, I'd, I'd heard prayers in which we referred to the Holy Ghost, but I, I mean, he didn't endear himself. I didn't sound like someone I wanted to get close to. So, so is he important? 
in the, the J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, he talks about the, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit being the Cinderella of Christian doctrines, the one that's not spoken of and, and paid little attention to. Yet no one would dispute the importance and the centrality of the incarnation, of the atonement. But what of, but what of the Holy Spirit? What if, what if there was no proper understanding of, of all that he is and all that he does? I mean, would it make a difference if we just removed him from the equation? Well, the answer obviously is, of course, if, if there was no spirit, we, would have, we wouldn't be here this morning. Right? There would be no gospel, no faith, no church, no Christianity. No gospel in New Testament. John 15, uh, 27, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses. But they never really fully understood. They often missed the point. And so Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to teach them all truth and so save them from all error, reminding them of what they'd been taught already and to reveal to them what the Lord meant them to learn. And that's what we learn. And he did that because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, these are things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So without the Holy Spirit, there would be no faith. There would be no faith. Nobody could say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit of God. In the third chapter of John's Gospel, um, we learn that it's the Spirit of God that, that brings conviction to those who have been formerly held in unbelief. Jesus, in his conversation with Nicodemus, says, Truly I say, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. And Nicodemus says, well... How can someone be born when they're old? They can't enter the second time into their mother's womb. And Jesus goes on to say, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water, of water and the Spirit. And a little bit later on, he says in their conversation, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people don't expect, accept our testimony. You see, we can preach, you can preach the gospel, but unless the Spirit is at work, it's just words. Now, that actually is quite releasing, isn't it? Quite empowering for us because I think we worry about, am I going to get this right? Am I going to give a faithful gospel demonstration? Am I going to get it nailed so that this person is going to be? And actually, the Lord says, hey, I'm on it. I think about my own journey and of my coming to faith, and I say, oh, this is when it happened, and I accepted the Lord on this day. You know what? It just happened that my eyes were opened on that particular occasion because I can think back. I had heard the gospel many times before. I remember when I started university, my roommate was a, was a committed Christian. He shared with me the gospel. I had no idea or interest. A girlfriend that I met later on was a committed Christian. She shared with me the gospel. Did she do a lousy job? I was just, it was the point at which the Spirit opened my eyes and my heart to receive the truth of all that Christ has done for me and that invitation. So, you know, if, if, if our words can't do anything, you think, well, well then is, is preaching hopeless? Well, we can't, 
We can't prove, we know that we can't prove truth with our clever arguments. Nobody can prove Christianity apart from the Holy Spirit, but by his own almighty work of renewing the blinding heart. It's what he does in us. And so we've got to ground our hopes of success, not on a clever presentation of the truth by any person, but on a powerful demonstration of the truth by the Spirit. Paul recognized his own weakness, didn't he? 1 Corinthians 2. He said, I, I resolved nothing to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And because the Spirit does bear witness in this way, people do come to faith when we are faithful to preach the gospel. And so Jesus says to his disciples in this text, and I'm going to paraphrase, don't worry, you squirrely lot. Help is on the way, and he will convict you. He will convict people of their sinfulness and concerning me. He will convict them of how to live righteously before God and of God's judgment. He's going to help you. He'll show you where to go, and he'll lead you to me, the truth. More than that, he'll speak for me and everything I've taught you and shown you. He will impress upon your heart so that by your very lives, people will be drawn to me. See, God has a plan. We know that, right? We know that God has a plan and has a purpose. He has a plan for his people. He had a plan for the redemption of his people to bring them out of bondage in Egypt. He had a plan for their return from exile in Babylon. He had a plan for Jesus who lived his entire life according to the Father's will and to finish his work. We see throughout Acts there are, there are examples of detail, detailed guidance. God has a plan. He's going to show you how to do it. He's going to communicate to us how we can fulfill his plan and his purpose for our lives. Remember in Acts 8, Philip was sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. Peter was being told um, to accept Cornelius' invitation in Acts 10. Then there was a church in Antioch was being charged to send Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. And, and then Paul and Silas being called um, to Europe. But later on, Paul is instructed to press on with his Corinthian ministry in uh, Acts 18. And, and, then, and, and so many other examples. And although guidance, dreams, visions, and direct verbal messages are exceptional, they can and they do demonstrate that God has no difficulty communicating with his creatures. God has a plan for all of us. He sent his son for us so that we might today live for his glory. God is glorified when we do his will. And so he speaks to us and he shows us his will. Psalm 32, the psalmist writes, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. See, Jesus says, the helper will be with you always. He will guide you. Effectively, as I have led, as Jesus has led, as Jesus has cared for, as Jesus has comforted the disciples whilst with them on earth, so now does the Holy Spirit. And so it is important 
that we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit? How is it that we can become less squirrely? Before we sort of think, oh, this is some sort of ethereal thing for, for super, spiritually people, super spiritual people. Like this is, when we talk about listening to the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some inward prompting apart from the written word of God. Because this is where the excesses and the abuses come in. Again, I'm reading through J.I. Packers, whose book was, um, was, was, was helpful in preparing this. So if you want to read it later, go, go ahead and, and do it and read it again. But there's the, he gives an example of um, you know, the lady who's, who's, uh, who spends every day and praying and consecrates the day before the Lord and then begins before getting out of bed saying, Oh, Lord, what shall I wear today? And what should I put on first? And leaving the house with one shoe or with her stockings over her shoes or because such thus saith the Lord. Or, I mean, I can, I can imagine this one. There's a story about the quiet, refined lady, rather past middle-aged. I mean, I can imagine her. I can imagine, I mean, I mean, this is some time back, right? But I can imagine her sitting in a tea shop with a little bag, quite prim and proper, and then saying, well, there have been times when, in order to help my friends to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit, I felt distinctly led of the Lord to have them get into bed with me and lie back to back without any nightgown in between. Well, is that the Lord? <laughs> there is no, this is not an inner, inner prompting of the Spirit that is apart from the Word of God. See, there's a pitfall. We have to be wary of pitfalls and unwillingness to suspect even ourselves. See, we have our own preferences, our desires, our inclinations. We have feelings that are going to lead us, you know, egos. Maybe, maybe we're led because we just want to get out of whatever situation we're in. Maybe it's about self-indulgence. Maybe it's self-promotion. But we need to understand that whatever this base need is, we need to detect it, we need to discredit it, and we need not to mistake it for the Lord's guidance. Because this is where the abuses and the excesses come in. So we have to grasp that we have a rational creator who guides his rational creation, creatures, by a rational understanding of his written word. I was at my brother's consecration a few weeks ago. He was consecrated bishop of New England. And there's a point in the ceremony where, you know, they, they put on, they were, being, they were being told about the symbolism of the different vestments and things that they, because they're now going to dress the bishop. And so they put in all these different things. And his mitre, his and the pointy hat is kind of, it points up because it's meant to symbolize the, the tongues of the, the spirit that fell at Pentecost on all the believers. So there's this it's all visual and, and image of, of anointing, right, of God's spirit. Um, and down the back of the mitre, there, it has these little tassels. And the tassels, actually, historically, they are where what they did, and actually it happened during the consecration. At one point, they placed the Bible on my brother's head. Right, and then, and then they take the Bible off. The tassels remain, and then the mitre goes on the top. Right, so it's like, here is somebody anointed, but it is the Word of God, is your authority. Right, so we need to keep this front and center as we're looking to discern what is the Spirit of God saying to me. So when Paul says in eight fourteen about 
how we live, how we are led by the Spirit. He, he's not, this doesn't relate to inward voices, but about dying to known sin and, and living after the flesh. So to listen to the Spirit is to become the kind of person that Jesus was. And, and through the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit impresses upon our consciences God's character and will in the world. See, the Holy Spirit enlightens us to understand, and he shows us how to apply his word to our daily lives. So doing, and so doing, we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The children could recite that, I am sure. But let me ask us this. We want to do a quick squirrel check right now, right, for us. And this one might hurt, okay? Squirrel check. Last week, we heard a word from Nigel, and he preached. What of what we heard, how much of what we heard that God spoke to us last week have we applied in this past week? So, in the, you know, in the last few weeks, we were saying, what have you heard? What are you going to do about it? Right? This is the squirrel factor, right? Right, we're listening. That was a good word. Squirrel. And it's gone. So it's not just hearing the word, but how do we apply the word? We learn to apply the word. We're told, we're told that in James. Don't listen to it merely and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So I don't know how you did on the, on the squirrel gauge. Squirrel. But quickly, I'm going to look at just some ways that we can listen to the Holy Spirit. And as you have already guessed, that one of the ways that we listen to the Holy Spirit is through the Word of God. There is nothing that God will say to us that will be at, odd with, at odds with His Word. I mean, He won't. How do we, how do we listen? We, well, first, I think one thing that we need to do, and that what prevents us, you know, I don't know if I hear from God, well, we have the Word of God, but I think we need to slow down. I do. I think we need to slow down. I think we need to take time to, to immerse ourselves in it. And maybe that was one of the things that some of you, you passed the squirrel test. You, you did last week. You think, you know what? I'm going to get this back in place this week. And you can still. But take time to read God's word and invite him. Lord, would you speak to me this morning through your word? May I hear your voice? Yeah, I think, I think it's like the immediacy of today. Like, oh, this email is not going. Like, it's taking 15 seconds to send. Like, we just want everything like that. Okay, so, okay, I'm in. But we need to slow down. And, and, if, and if it's helpful for you, it's been helpful for me over the years, I journal when I pray and when I read the Bible. I've got a journal, and I, I open it up, and I start, and I just start by praying. And, and it's the something about, as I write, it just slows me down to a place where I feel that God can, he has my attention. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. In fact, there are so many places that we're told in Scripture, wait for the Lord, wait on him. God's not in a hurry. And he'll guide us one step at a time. And if you're in doubt, wait. Okay, listen to the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Another way that we can listen to the Holy Spirit is through the counsel of the saints. One of the other pitfalls and the things where we mess up is because we're too independent. I don't want to take advice from anybody. I am going to do my own thing. 
But if we want to hear from the Holy Spirit and we want to test what God is saying to us, then we need to take the counsel of the saints. We need to share with our brothers and sisters. If you are part of a community group, if you have people that pray with you, there are people in this community, we can test this stuff out. I'm thinking about this. The Lord is, would you pray for me? Would you, would you help me discern this? We go through a, a season of discernment. Get good advice. Proverbs 20 says, in verse 18, plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. And here's another warning. Is like Family love us unconditionally, don't they? Right? Our parents, brothers and sisters, they're going to love us unconditionally. They are not always going to be the best people to give us advice. You know why? Because it might be that the Lord is asking us to do something, and that means that is a road of suffering and hardship. And our family might say, oh, I don't know about that. Now, I'm not saying that we discredit or discount what they're saying, but I'm saying we need to make sure that we are opening ourselves to people who are able to speak truth into the situation and context that we're in. Right, please don't hear me saying that, that saying, don't listen to your parent. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we, we need to be aware of our own inclinations, right? So even us as we're given it, like, what are, like, mm, that's my tendency. Or that, Lord, what are you saying here? Plans are established by seeking advice. Listen to the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Listen to the Holy Spirit through the counsel of the saints. Get good advice from your church family, from your community. Seek advice from others. And listen to the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit. There are many things that I could be talking to you about, but I just want to finish up on this one. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, exalt love, love first, but let's not downplay the importance of the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love, and he says, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now we say, oh, well, we eagerly desire the giver, not the gifts. Yeah, but in this case, the giver is telling us to desire the gifts. So we eagerly desire the gifts and prophecy. Why is, why is Paul saying this is, you know, desire this? Because it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit through which the Spirit speaks to the church. And Paul emphasizes the importance of this gift for the church. And that's why I'm going to spend a few minutes as we finish up looking at this gift. Also, because I can't remember the last time we talked about the gift of prophecy in the church. Can you? So is it worth a couple of minutes? <laughs> Squirrel. So prophecy, it's the ability to hear what God is saying and to pass it on to others. And it's not so much about foretelling the future, but foretelling what God is saying in the current situation. Okay, so in the early church, they came to see that the Old Testament was essentially prophecy. It spoke of Jesus. It was a prophetic witness to Jesus. And in the New Testament, we have as an apostolic witness to Jesus, but when we're talking prophecy today, I just got to be clear, there is no equivalent in terms of authority. Words spoken today are not equivalent in terms of authority to the words that we have given to us in this. Okay? Got that? The words of prophets today are not of equal authority as the words of the prophets whose words we have in here. You see, Scripture, this is for all Christians in all places at all times. A prophetic word that may be shared is a particular word inspired by God 
and given to a particular person or persons at a particular moment for a particular purpose. So it's a human report and sometimes partially mistaken of something that the Holy Spirit has brought to someone's mind. So there are times in which you may, we may be praying for somebody, and as we're praying, we may feel prompted to pray in a particular direction or to ask a question about something that the person actually hasn't asked specifically about. And we do that tentatively. We do that humbly. Because, and often it normally starts out with something like, I don't know if this is right or not, but... So, Paul says that when we exercise, if we seek this gift, when we exercise this gift, it builds up the church. The one who prophesies edifies the church and can have a profound impact on unbelievers. He goes on to say in verse 4, if an unbeliever, no, sorry, this is um, 24 to 25. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, you know that we've just completed the Alpha course. Um, and there's a point during that where we take a moment to pray and we share words of knowledge, prophetic words. And we do that tentatively and nervously, right? Those of us that were there, part of the team, like, Whoa. But it is remarkable every time we do that, when we stop and take time and we pray and we're bold enough to give it a go, it is amazing at how many times God speaks and moves powerfully in someone's life that they say, wow, God is here. He knows me. He sees me. There is no way that you could have known that about me but for the Lord showing you. And this is for all of us, right? This is, this is for all of us, all of us that eagerly desire. Now, there will be people that have a strong prophetic ministry, but all of us can exercise this gift. But like any, any, any muscle we want to grow, we've got to exercise it. We've got to train it. And so we've got to practice it. But there, are, but there are things that we've got to do. So, so, so we don't go distracted and we find ourselves running off track and getting lost. Remember, we've got to test it, right? So I test it by asking, first of all, well, is that biblical? Like, it, does that sound in line with everything I know that is taught to me through the whole of Scripture? Right? Is it biblical? Secondly, I'm going to ask, who's it coming from, this word? Like, I want to know about the character of this person. Is this person whose life is one that is of love? Is this a word that is one of love? Do they, do they show the characteristics that Paul describes of a believer, someone surrendered to the Lord, where the Spirit of God bears the fruit of the spirits in their life? And then, and then we also want to test it by saying, what's the effect of this word? I mean, even for us, as we're, as we're discerning this, and if the Lord should put something in your mind, in a word or a picture or a or a, something that you, you feel to share with someone, you know, we tend to, we, we've got to go through this check. Right, does this sound right? Is this biblical? Is this, am I sharing this out of love? And also, Paul says in verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, and for their comfort. So is this word bringing strength? Am I encouraging? Is this bringing comfort to this person? 
And if I'm not sure, then I'm not going to say it. Okay, if, it, if it's not doing those things, if I've run through that test and it hasn't passed that test, then I, okay, I'm, I'm just going to leave that. And if you come back to that again, Lord, and press it on me, we'll give it a go. But I've got to go through those checks. And really, prophetic words really mean it's what God has already placed on our hearts, on somebody's heart. Right? So what we're saying to them is that it's actually this awakening to what is already uh, on their hearts. And here's the other thing. And, and if you're not sure, what did Mary, the mother of Jesus, do? She, she took these things and she pondered them in her heart. So as we receive a word and you're not sure about it, well, ponder on it. Don't, you know, we, don't, we don't make this directive. Thus saith the Lord. Go do that. No, no. We ponder these things, we test them, we get advice. We hold it to the word of God. And here's the other thing. We won't always get it right. We won't always get it right. When we are trying to listen to God and we're trying to follow his guidance, we're trying to listen to the Spirit, we won't always get it right. There will be times, but, here's the th- but, but people will say, oh, God is so in this because it's just, everything is just coming together. Right? It's just boom, 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 boom. God is totally in it. Well, there are some things that, that we, will, we will follow and we'll think, Lord, you were, I just, like, why then? Because I really felt you were in it, and then we did that, and then, boom, it was a mess. Okay, so there are times when we're gonna, we won't get it right, but also being obedient and faithful to God's word doesn't mean, actually doesn't mean that success or smooth sailing is, the way that we're gonna, is what we're going to experience. I mean, think about it. Jesus was totally obedient to the Father's will, right? And his obedience to the Father's will, he faced opposition, betrayal, ridicule, ridicule, rejection, beating, arrest, and ultimately the cross. Now, until my eyes were opened, I looked at the cross and thought, oh, well, that obviously didn't work, did it? What a waste. And there are things, I think, in our own lives where we have taken a decision or followed a course and it hasn't gone the way we thought and we thought, what a waste. But is it? Or is that where God is actually doing some of his most life-giving work for us? Bringing real transformation. You see, when we hit those times and when we, when we are wondering, if we, we find that we've, we've become distracted and we're, we've wandered off track, we come back to God's sovereign grace. And we're reminded in Romans that the Spirit of God convicts, but he never condemns. See, because of God's sovereign grace, because of Jesus, he not only restores us, but he takes our mistakes into his plan and he brings good out of them. I mean, we believe that God guides us, right? I just wonder whether we doubt our own ability to hear him correctly or even whether we can hear him at all. Maybe think, oh, I, I, I don't hear from God. He's speaking to us now. He's speaking to us all of the time. We slow down to listen. We sang a song earlier, right? I will rest in your promises. Right? I will rest in your promises. My confidence is in your faithfulness. You see, we need to be put less in about ourselves, about our self-confidence in my ability to hear God and put more trust in his promise to speak to us and make his will known. 
I started off with a little picture of my little fluffy dog, Ollie. And I teach him, and I love him, and I cuddle him, and I take him for walks. He's not actually my dog, but I'm the one who does most of the walks, I think. And, uh, but, you know, if someday, out on a walk, Ollie should wander off, and he fails to heed my call, Ollie, and he's drawn away by the allure of the wide open space or of the pack, we have actually placed in Ollie a little electronic chip that means whoever finds him can scan him and go, oh, this is Paul's dog, and I know where he lives, and they can get him home. Ultimately, we can have confidence that in Christ, we also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having also believed, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We are marked by his spirit. In Jesus, we have the assurance that wherever, whatever mistakes that we have made or we are likely to make, Jesus can bring us safely home. He gets us home to the Father. You see, we may slip and we may become distracted and we may even stray, but God's arms are not too short to catch us, to rescue us, or to restore us to himself. And so there may be some of us here this morning who are saying, I have strayed and I do not hear God and I think I am so lost. I feel so lost. The Lord's arm is not too short to reach to you, to catch you when you fall, to rescue you, and to restore you. Jesus has already taken care of our security. He gives us his spirit so that we can live confidently and freely and joyfully beneath the loving gaze of our Lord, who we know will not let us ruin our souls. And so when we talk about what it means to listen to the Holy Spirit, let's learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, not for our own security. Let our conversation about this not be about for our own security, because Jesus has already taken care of that, but let it be for his glory. Because that is where and how we're called to live. And as we ponder this, I want to encourage us to think about how we, this week, might be so emboldened in our witness for Christ through the power of his spirit. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray together. So we'll do something a bit different, and this is why I'm going to ask you to be emboldened, and it's even a little emboldening on my part to do it, because the Spirit of God is here, right? And I believe that the Lord is already at work and has been speaking to us, and many of us in different ways this morning, through a word, through the word, through a scripture. Sometimes the Lord will, he may give you a picture, and it maybe will make no sense to you, but it's 
it will mean something for somebody. So you don't have to, you know, this is, this is kind of a safe place that we can, we can try this. And then we test it. So I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come in power. We know that he's here, but we want to make ourselves right wide open to him. I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team to come forward as well. But I also want us to have an opportunity. Let's invite the word. Lord, is there, would you, would you help me to hear from you this morning? And if the Lord puts a word on your heart, maybe there's a scripture that he will impress upon you. Maybe there's a picture. Maybe there's a name. I want to encourage you to be bold enough to speak that out. And we'll test it. And it's a bit like any, any gift. Like we exercise the gifts, we try them out. You know, if somebody's learning the guitar and they hash up one of the chords, we're like, get out of here. Well, we're practicing and we're learning. Okay? So we're going to learn together. So, Father God, we welcome you here by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? And I'm encouraging you, if you're going to take a posture of openness to him, if you... If you're comfortable in doing so, just open your arms before the Lord. There's a, there's a way of saying, Lord, I'm open. I'm, I'm ready to receive all that you have, all of you, more of you. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, through what we've heard, would you bring to mind what we've heard? Lord, I pray that you would release the gifts of your spirit in this place. Lord, we pray that uh, for, the, for the building up of your church, would you release the prophetic uh, gift uh, in your church? Lord, would you fall on us afresh this morning? Come, Holy Spirit. And we just wait on him.